Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. We're going to read Jeremiah's prayer that he gives to God in his jail cell in Jerusalem. That's going to begin in Jeremiah 32 verse 16. Hear now God's word. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of men, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds." You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and you have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror, and you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up this day to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, this city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Let's pray together. Father, it's beautiful to witness a prayer and to have Jeremiah's prayer shape the way we ourselves pray. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus, as you taught your disciples, as you want to teach us today. Let us learn what it means to abide with you in prayer this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, our passage today, it's a beautiful prayer from the prophet Jeremiah. If you think about it, prayer is really, really, really hard work especially for those of us to whom it doesn't come naturally. I think in my experience that Christians tend to major on certain spiritual disciplines and minor on others. In other words, if you're good at one thing or you enjoy that one thing, then you're probably bad at another thing. So for me, I love to study the Bible. You give me time, you give me space, you give me tools, I love to dig in, I love to study, I love to understand, I love to think about theology, but that means that prayer is a lot harder for me to do. I struggle making time to do it in the first place, and when I do make time, I struggle falling into a rut of praying the same things again and again and again, and even when I do those things, I I struggle to believe that prayer can really affect change, affect change in my own heart, and affect change in the world. If you are like me in that, it always helps to hear other people pray. If you struggle with praying, it always helps hearing other people pray. Whether you're sitting with that person and they're praying with you and for you, whether it's Jenny Walsh leading a prayer on your voicemail, or it's sitting with the prophet Jeremiah who prayed this prayer 2,600 years ago. 
Praying people open wide the possibilities of prayer. When you hear them pray, they welcome you. They bid you where the Spirit comes. And we remember why praying is like breathing. It is always available to us. And it is essential for the abundant life in Christ. If that's true, let's sit at the feet of Jeremiah And let's listen carefully as this prophet prays and let us go and do likewise. Jeremiah, he's in trouble, but he structures his prayer in this way. He's going to spend the first two-thirds of his prayer praising God for his greatness. And then he's going to spend the back third of his prayer reminding God of a promise that he made to him. So he's going to praise God for his greatness, and then he's going to remind God of a promise. Let's look at each of those two parts to Jeremiah's prayer. And let's start with God's greatness, which he does in verses 17 to to 22. He says in verse 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. That's his opening salvo. That's his praise to God for who he is and the greatness he has. Now, I think sometimes when we hear other people praise God or pray to God with abandon and excitement, the cynical side of us says it's a lot easier for that person to be doing this right now. We're like Michael with her husband, King David. It must be easy for this person to pray like that because they're in a different set of circumstances than I am. But if they were where I am, it would be much harder for them to to praise God like they're doing now. If you have that cynicism well up inside of you when you hear the prophet Jeremiah, I want to remind us about two things. Number one, Jeremiah is starving in a jail, in a city that is about to be overrun by the Babylonians who have a nasty reputation of killing kids and gouging out eyeballs. So the whole argument about the grass is always greener where somebody else is praising God, that's not going to fly with the prophet Jeremiah, right? You got to take that somewhere else, use it on somebody in your life group, Don't bring that up in here, because Jeremiah suffers as he praises God for his goodness. Here's the second thing to remember. Just because Jeremiah is a Bible character doesn't mean he always prays polite prayers. I know it's been a while, but please never forget the prayer Jeremiah prays in chapter 20. Oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. God, you lied to me. Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Remember that prayer? Jeremiah knows good and well how to shake his fist at God in exasperation. It's not always praise that's the first thing that comes out of Jeremiah's mouth. I say those things because I want us to start running out of natural reasons why Jeremiah might praise God in the situation he is in, which is going to open the door for a supernatural reason why Jeremiah prays the way he does. Prayer can be God's gift to transcend worldly circumstances and marvel at heavenly glory. 
This is a gift that God gives the prophet Jeremiah to pray in this way. So Jeremiah is going to give a ton of space to praise. In fact, he's going to dedicate two-thirds of this prayer to God to praising God for his greatness. If we're entering this school of prayer, if we want Jeremiah's prayers to shape the way we pray, then, then here's the structure. When we come to God and we're asking something from him, when we need him to do a miracle in a situation, if we're praying like Jeremiah does in this chapter, we set aside two-thirds of our prayer simply to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Jeremiah, in this section, he praises God for four things. First, he praises God for creating heaven and earth. He says, God, you stretched out your arm and boom, you created the cosmos. We have stars, we have galaxies, we have planets, we have life. All of it came from the mind of God to the page of creation, all by the power of your word, everything from nothing. If you start with that in your mind, verse 17, nothing, O God, is too hard for you. Jeremiah is building in his mind this argument from the lesser to the greater. If we ever doubt God's ability to do something, we can always put it to the Milky Way test, according to Jeremiah. If we're up against something that's like really, really big, and we're not sure God has the ability to do it or answer it or provide in that certain way, Jeremiah says, why don't you hold the thing up to the Milky Way? Okay? If God spoke the one into existence by the word of his power, I think he will be able to do the very thing you're asking of him. Jeremiah's amazed at God's creative work. Number two, no sooner does Jeremiah praise God for his creation, than he turns to praise God for his love and for his kindness. You heard that right. Jeremiah's in jail. He's very hungry. He doesn't know how much longer he is going to live. And he's worshiping God that his love has no limits. He says in verse 18, you show steadfast love to thousands. That, that phrase steadfast love, that's that great Hebrew word chesed, which is sometimes translated loving kindness or unfailing love. Jeremiah, when he sits in a dank prison cell, he says to God, You're not, your love is not just adequate, it's not just enough, it's, it, it just won't make do in a pinch. It is bountiful, it is supreme, it is exquisite. Your love is lavish to your saints. I've been studying the book of Ephesians these days, and that book reminds us that even if our lives feel like a Jerusalem jail cell, from God's perspective, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Christians are vessels upon whom God pours lavish riches of his grace. That's the language of Ephesians chapter 1. That's how God views his saints. That's from his perspective what he is doing right now on our behalf. He is lavishing grace upon grace upon grace. So Jeremiah praises God that he's the creator. He praises God that he loves him. Number three, Jeremiah remembers God's judgment. He prays to God in verse 19. Him whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of men. 
Nothing is lost on a just God. He sees all things. Jeremiah is praying like Moses had prayed before him, that God is quick to forgive, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Jeremiah praises God that he is a just God, that he will bring just judgment. That's an important prayer to pray for a man who is in a city that is besieged by the Babylonians. Number four, and finally, after creation, after love, after judgment, he now wants to spend the most amount of time praising God for his salvation. So in verses 20 through 22, Jeremiah, he begins to remember, you hear this story of how Israel, they were once slaves in Egypt, and then God delivered them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and he brought them as he promised into the promised land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, just as he had told the Israelites he would do. Now this is important whenever you see this in the Old Testament to remember. The exodus was to an Israelite, what Calvary is to a Christian, okay? The exodus is to an Israelite, what Calvary is to a Christian. So when you're in the Old Testament and you hear an Israelite praising God for their salvation, they're thinking back to the exodus. They're thinking to the tremendous way in which God, by grace through faith, delivered Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and into the promised land. That was his salvation. That came before the Ten Commandments, before Israel could demonstrate obedience. It was a pure act of grace that he delivered them out, and he brought them into the promised land. We now in the New Testament understand what the Exodus was foreshadowing. It was showing us something about God's delivering power, that he would also with us deliver us out of the land of slavery, the prince of the power of the air of this world, and he would bring us to his promised land by grace through faith. There is something very centering about giving space in prayer to thank God for what he has done through Christ for our salvation. Here's why. It reminds us of how our Heavenly Father feels about us. We wonder about that. We think about that. We sometimes um, get a hunch that he might feel a certain way about us, especially after we've done a certain thing, or we've sinned in a certain way, or we've disappointed him. We begin to wonder what our Heavenly Father really truly thinks about us. If we grew up in a home where our earthly parents didn't show affection to us, we didn't know where we stood with our parents. Do they love me? Do they like me? Do they see me? Do they notice me? We transfer those thoughts onto our thoughts about God and we wonder, what are these circumstances trying to teach me? What is he trying to get at with me? Praising God for salvation, it reorients us around remembering that God loves us. That he has shown us affection by our salvation. Jeremiah 32 is the Romans 8 of the Old Testament. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That becomes our starting point with God. We serve a God, we pray to a God, we think about a God who spares no expense, not even the life of his son, to graciously give us all we need. That's where we begin in prayer. That's the kind of heavenly father that we pray to.
And so Jeremiah, he's caught up in praising God. He spends two-thirds of this prayer praising God for all his goodness in his creation, and in his love, and in his judgment, and in his salvation. And once he's done that, he now turns to the business at hand for him in the last third of his prayer to remind God of his promise. Now, two weeks ago, we had talked about the beginning of chapter 32. It's this odd scene where Jeremiah is in prison, and God says, I'm going to send your cousin to you, and he's going to sell you a piece of land. And I know that sounds ridiculous, because all of Israel is under siege, and the Babylonians have overrun the piece of land that you're going to buy. But when you buy it, you're going to be doing a prophetic act, which is going to say that fields and vineyards and land, once again, will be bought in this land. You're going to buy this land in faith. You're going to hold this deed in faith because one day it will be worth something when God answers his promise. Now, Jeremiah is a little bit confused by this because he's been hearing judgment, 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 and now he hears promise. He heard that Israel is going to be totally overrun and completely um, exiled by the Babylonians, and now he hears God say, hey, uh, buy this piece of land because good things are in store. And I think Jeremiah begins to wonder right away, God, are you, are you changing your timetable? I know you said Jerusalem was going to be judged, but is this the judgment? Are we going to be spared sooner rather than later? You could almost add a question mark to verse 25. He said, you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. In other words, Jeremiah is taking God's promise that this is going to happen in Jerusalem at some point, and he's asking for clarification. Okay, you say Jerusalem's going to be overrun, but you also say that fields are going to be bought here again. Could we expect this sooner rather than later? Are you going to surprise us in the way that you spare Jerusalem? I think this is one of the most powerful forms of prayer that there is in the Bible. You grab a hold of a promise that God has given, you hold it before God, and you ask in prayer for clarification. God delights in this. It's his children abiding in his word, remembering in his word, bringing his word before him, asking him about the promises that he makes for his children. God delights in this kind of prayer. So you and I can pull out a passage like 2 Peter 1.3 and say, God, you tell me in your word, you promised me that you give me all the power I need pertaining to life and godliness. That's a promise. I know I can bank my life on that, but I don't get it because I feel like in certain areas of my life, I don't have the power I need for life and godliness. I feel like I'm coming up short in a certain place in my life. Help me understand how this promise applies to me in this place in my life. We could take a passage like Ephesians 3.20 and say, God, You've told me, you've promised me that you will be able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think or imagine. But lately, it feels like you're doing just about what I can ask or imagine and nothing more. I feel like I'm coming up short. God, please help me understand what you mean by this promise that you've given me. 
These are beautiful, beautiful, heartfelt prayers of children running to their heavenly father, claiming promises he's given us in hopeful expectation, and asking God, do it. Show me how you're going to do what you've promised that you will do. And watching for our father to make good on each and every promise that he gives. Jeremiah does it. And we're invited to do it ourselves. Now I want to end there. I want to close in prayer, do a benediction. That's a sweet note to end on. I don't want to end with a downer. But if you kept reading Jeremiah 32, you'd figure this out on your own anyway. Jeremiah, he's, he's taking a risk here. He's putting this promise in front of God and saying, I know, I know you said Jerusalem's going to be judged, but maybe, just maybe, you're going to change that timetable and that's not going to happen. And he puts that promise before the Lord and says, help me understand this. And then we read on in Jeremiah chapter 32, after our passage, God's answer to Jeremiah's question. The answer is No. Jeremiah, Jerusalem will suffer. She will be overrun by the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, just as I promised. And she will suffer big time. I hate to even let you guys know that that's in the rest of the passage because I feel like that taps into our biggest fear about prayer in the first place. See, I knew it wouldn't do anything. See, I knew if I brought that promise before God and I asked him and I asked him in faith and I did the whole paradigm and I spent two thirds in praise and then I waited till the last third to ask him for something that I needed and God looked me dead in the eye with that promise and he said, no. It's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen the way that you understand it or the way you're asking for. That that creates that fear in our heart that prayer is what we thought it was in the first place. But hang on a second. You've got Jeremiah in a jail cell spending time talking with a God who loves him. Jeremiah praises God. Jeremiah, he marvels at God's power. Jeremiah reminds himself of God's salvation. Jeremiah, he speaks God's words back to him and he dares to hope that God will always and forever be true to his word even if it looks different than we imagined it to be. And so whether God answers yes No or wait, that was time well spent indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your hand in creation. You've made all things out of nothing and nothing is too hard for you. God, we praise you that your steadfast love is for thousands. You are kind and gracious and lavish grace. God, we praise you that you're a just God, that you see all things and that you bring all things to justice. And God, we praise you that you are the God of salvation from the exodus out of Egypt to our exodus out of the land of sin and slavery. You have saved us. And God, I praise you that you invite us now 
to grab a hold of promises in Jeremiah, like we heard in our call to worship, the Lord is our righteousness, and bank our lives on this promise, because you will be true to your word, and you will fulfill all things in Christ. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.